Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford Bloor. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Seb. And of course, also joined by the one, the only, JJ Bull, the Bulldog, the Bullman, the Big Bull, the, uh, the Jade Bull, the, the Bullover Watch. Hello, Joe. Hi. How's it going? Really good. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I really hope I don't let anyone down. Here we go. Just leaving a bit of a space there, just to really let that message settle into you. Joe. It's very important that you don't let anybody <laughs> down, because uh, of course this is an important job. And speaking of jobs, JJ has left a, 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 a national newspaper to work for a YouTube channel. JJ, just talk us through your thinking there, because it seems insane to me. Uh, I don't. Um, well, I've done it now, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter what the uh... <laughs> the details aren't important, are they? I have watched uh, Tifo and listened to the podcast for quite a while, so it's pretty cool. Um, as I'm sure anyone who has also listened to it, I think it would be really cool to work for it. Also, it's just a really good thing to come and do something different. I got into Telegraph originally by doing YouTube in the first place with a bunch of videos that were quite silly. So, yeah. I think it's a good fit. It is extremely cool. I'm very happy that you're here. Uh, and oh, for listeners, JJ will be appearing on the podcast regularly. He's going to start uh, writing scripts of some of our videos for a new concept that we're working on. We'll be launching over the Euros too. JJ will be a central part. It's, it's, it's all very exciting for us to have him here. Uh, and I'm going to rag him up all episode. So that's going to be exciting to listen to as well. Uh, okay, what did we talk about today? Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Manchester United and Liverpool's postponed game. Uh, we did a big bit on Newcastle, a big bit on Arsenal. We talked for a little bit less time about Chelsea and uh, Everton and Tottenham. A little bit on the continent with Seb Stafford Bloor. And of course also we uh, rounded things off in a Joe's Player Quotes and Facts database. It was a real fun episode, wasn't it, Seb? Sure was, Joe. I had a, had a really nice time. It's been a long time since we, uh, you know, here's the secret of the trade. We record the intro at the end after we've already done the episode. And it's been a long time since we spoke about the protest bit. I, I'm now worried we said something awful. Well, you did a couple of times. We've agreed to edit a few of those bits out. So I think you're okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah be fine. Good yeah. to know. You've encouraged some fairly <laughs> poor behavior amongst society. So, um, but it's okay. It's so. okay. The, yeah. the edit will save you as always. It's okay. Okay, well, before we get started, quick fire questions round for JJ so the audience can get to know him. Of course, he's been on the uh, the show before, but never as a never as a member of the team. So, uh, a few questions quickly, JJ, if you don't mind. Uh, quick fire. Yes. First one is uh, VAR. Yes or no? Uh, it should be better than it is, but I think it's to do with a lot of the rules. No, uh, 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 follow uh, instruction. Uh, 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 In- uh, interesting, Joe. Yes interesting. or no? <laughs> yes or no? Yes. 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 Wow. Goodness me, we should ask that in the interview. Uh, how about <laughs> crowd sound? Yes or no? Uh, was no, no, yes. Oh, you're a yes man now. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. But I, knew, I, I was really excited for it originally. I know this is not quick fire now, but I was really excited for, it to, for to have no sounds. You could hear what the coaches and stuff were shouting. But now I like the sound because it makes it sound a bit more real. I don't know why. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Who do you support? Aberdeen. Yeah. Okay. Fine. That's a reasonable answer, isn't it? Uh, what would be your worst way to die? <laughs> oh, uh, I think drowning would be worst. Yeah. Yeah. That That'd be a bad, bad way to die. Quite Ever dark. since I've watched C- Casino Royale, you know, I think it's fine to do spoilers now, isn't it? Fifteen years later, when uh, when she uh, breathes in all the water in the lift, and the, oh god, yeah, that's not good. That's, that's horrible. horrible. No, no. Not good at all. Uh, uh, have you got any quick fire questions for JJ Seb? Uh, who did you hate most at the Telegraph? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question for after the podcast. <laughs> that was my that was my best spontaneous thinking. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> anyway, uh, from uh, from that to this, uh, uh, that's everything I've got to say. Oh, also, I should say, hey, uh, by the way, if you like it when people answer questions in an interesting way, you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where sometimes that happens. Uh, and often, if that does happen, those questions are the right questions, and the answers are interesting. And also... Lots of stuff doesn't involve questions and answers as well. It's just you know one of the things that can one of the things that can happen there. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a 30 day free trial. So if my description of this isn't uh, very descriptive uh, or to your tastes, you can just go and look at what it is for free. And uh, by signing up with a 30 day trial, theathletic.com/tifo, and then send me an email with what you think it is, so I can better say it on the next episode of the Tifo Football Podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash tifo now there you go uh thanks to everyone involved in today's episode uh one other thing to mention before we get started there's no producer adonis today no there's not no producer adonis why is that because he's gone done had a baby he made a new human and he's gone off to uh, raise it i think that's what they do at the beginning they do a bit of raising because unlike other animals human babies can't fend for themselves can they they're not they are they don't come out already uh to spear a bore to death or anything. <clears throat> Actually, they can't basically can't do anything on their own for a really long time. So much so that it's it's caused some you know evolutionary biologist, biologists to wonder about this you know the, the origin of humans because we're unlike many other animals in that sense. Yeah, not like the the donkey that gets popped out and then it's stood up within a day and it's grazing. No big deal. Yeah. Years we're talking about years. Adonis will be back before years, of course. But um, the most important thing now for him is to raise his small human, and uh, we wish him all the best in doing that. To producer Adonis and the uh, the newest little Tipo. There we go. Anyway, for now we've got uh, producer Ollie. Uh, many thanks to you, producer Ollie. And uh, maybe one of these future episodes we'll chat to producer Ollie, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll find some fun in that. I'm sure we will. Uh, but for now, I will leave you in the uh, the warm hands and the cool embrace of JJ Bull the Bull Man.
let's begin now with uh, Manchester United P, P Liverpool. And of course, I say the letter P because the game was uh, postponed due to safety concerns after a protest outside and inside the ground. Mm, sounds like there were lots of COVID breaches. I don't know. But uh, the game was postponed anyway. Uh, police were involved in that decision too. Various reports of uh, criminal damage. Um, Adam Crafton did a good tweet though, Seb, where he said to those uh, patronising MUFC fans saying, this isn't the way, uh, what would you like them to do? Failed by government when uh, Glazers came in. They tried every form of polite protest. They set up a Phoenix club. The owners did not engage. What else is left but non-violent direct action? Emphasis on the non-violent there. Yeah, it's interesting because we've seen, not just with Manchester United, but we've seen protests before being kind of patted on the head, Joe. It's like, if you think of the many, many demonstrations that have been held around St. James's Park against Mike Ashley, for instance, it's interesting that, firstly, they seem to get dismissed very, very quickly. And secondly, they tend to receive nothing like the television coverage or the mainstream coverage that what happened yesterday did or what happened on Sunday did. Yeah, And you can't really have it both ways because it's sort of... Um, and let me just profess this by saying that I, I, I'm not advocating direct action against football clubs or, you know, violence or whatever. But it, it, there's a point here in that you can't, you can't expect fans just to sit quietly in the corner while something they care about is taken away from them. And in this, you know, in this particular instance, it's been particularly egregious. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree with Adam's point. It's, it's, a, it's, it's difficult because you either, you're seemingly advocating for supporters to protest in a way which is easy to ignore, which kind of defeats the object of the protest. Well, also, like, protesting sort of within, and there'll be many different takes on this, but protesting sort of within the current system and following all the rules, it's not, it's not it's sort of not really protesting, is it? It's kind of like, you know, you go on a march, obviously, and uh, to, to many thousands of people who do that, uh, some on a, on a regular basis, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it, it can make a difference, and in some cases it, it does make a difference, but you're absolutely right. There are plenty of football fans at different clubs with different uh, issues that uh, stand peacefully outside the grounds and, you know, just don't they don't do any direct action at, at anything at any buildings for example and everyone just ignores them no one does anything and then as soon as a big group of people step outside the uh, the sort of bounds of what is um what is considered to be uh, uh, you know uh, acting polite in polite society it's suddenly a problem now of course where violence is concerned that that's not cool and it sounds like from the reports of yesterday that there was actually in a couple of um uh, individual incidences there was fairly extreme violence and uh, that sucks because not only does it suck for the, the victims involved but it also uh, ruins it for everybody else because if this big group of people had just broken into the stadium and uh, the sort of the the criminal issues in this case were purely you know a little bit of um, criminal damage to Manchester United's property uh, and but you know essentially essentially a peaceful protest then I think we'd be having a slightly different conversation. The, the criminal damage aspect, I, I haven't seen a kind of full accounting of, of um, what happened there, so probably best not to comment. But what I'll say is that football's tendency and the football community's tendency when these kind of things happen. So think of the Berry situation. What you tend to get there where ownership has done something unforgivable or where fans are being disenfranchised by the actions of ownership is for a couple of days, everyone sits around, wrings their hands and says, oh, isn't this just terrible? Isn't this just awful? Isn't this the worst thing that happens? And then on like day four, everyone just forgets about it and moves on. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's not really recourse as a supporter, is it? So no. it's, 
it's really difficult. You gotta throw yourself in front of the horse, JJ. <laughs> Is that uh, right? Is that the right thing to say? I don't know. Horses have had it hard in these protests too. Yeah, they did. Exactly. That's true. Good point, JJ. Some of them aren't ready to, to battle, you know? They weren't they weren't asked to do that. <laughs> They're just nice horses. And here here they are. Yeah. The weird thing about it is that also I, it's not that I don't admire protesters, what I'm trying to say is but um I wonder how much effect it really has on the people they're trying to hurt. Like the Glazers, are they sitting there in their very wealthy room? You have a wealthy room, uh, watching this on TV, going, "Oh no, oh no," or is it? I mean, what what eventually builds? Is it that the protests then make you get loads of media coverage, so that, that in turn makes them feel uh, to the point they have to get out or something? I, I wonder what it does to those people. I'm it's not sure. Better to do something no. than nothing for a certain, but yeah. I guess maybe like the the you know the protest against the Super League would have hurt the owners last you know last week versus versus this one. But then again, I suppose it's still um, it's it's a sort of very strange modern phenomena, isn't it? And and we think about this in the context of football uh, being that uh, broadcasting income is a significantly greater source of income now than match day was, which is something that's happened in relatively recent footballing history. And it's an odd thing, isn't it? Because you sort of think. Well, if you're protesting against uh, the stock market, for example, you would you'd march on Wall Street and uh, you might be able to sort of stop some people going in and, and leaving their, their jobs off. You could have some kind of impact there. Or if you're protesting against uh, a supermarket, you can stand outside and tell everyone not to go in. And that, that would make a difference, I suppose. Uh, but with football, unless you get it taken off the telly, which in a way, I guess they did... Uh, it's difficult to actually uh, find a way to do anything that would impact the owners, isn't it? Because uh, there's no one was going to the stadium anyway. You know what's what's really rubbish about this is that you're right. Like in this instance, actually, it's a success because they have inconvenienced big football in inverted commas. At the same time, though, and this is typical of everything to do with one football, it's something that has to also inconvenience the supporters themselves. So their victory is to deny themselves the ability to watch the biggest game of their season. I know it's a small thing and it's not really relevant, but it's it's kind of indicative of, well, the only way you can have an impact as a fan is by making some com- kind of compromise, you know, make some kind of concession from your own life. And that's that. You you wake up on a Sunday morning, Man United, Liverpool, who isn't looking forward to that or dreading it if you're invested in one of the two sides. And so the cost is really paid by the fan themselves. I mean, I, I don't know, like, um, the, do the Glazer family sit around in their wealthy room and then I pull the legs off spiders and what does one have in a wealthy room JJ just a lot of gold I reckon just a lot. those chairs that no one would sit on but you might lie down on you know the sort of long <laughs> oh a chaise lounge <laughs> yeah one of those yeah, yeah. I think that and like the, the TV might be hidden in a wall and come out when you want it to yeah, a lot that's, of stuff like tables old money. could just come out of the floor just you know instead of it's more it's not a wealthy room it's more of a uh, layer you've really got a great imagination there Seth. In, in the richest room you can imagine a table comes out of the floor <laughs> well done as if they need to space save in the wealthy room uh, listen no, it was a bad flash, day for it? uh it's, it's <laughs> not you know it's not space saving it's just it's a it's a, a kind of a superficial little detail so that you know when a um uh, one of their inevitably vapid friends comes around and be like oh look at look at look at my table isn't this impressive and the vapid friend says oh yeah that, that's really cool i really like that because that's what no i've just sure. gone further into it than you mm-hmm. were willing to but they also definitely have 
paintings on the wall with the eyes cut out so they can go around the side of the wall. <laughs> Except <laughs> here it'll be a picture of like Joel Glazer and then Joel Glazer will go behind the wall so you can't tell it's not his eyes <laughs> falling around the room. Listen, JJ, as much as Seb's laughing, there's something, I knew this was going to happen, okay? There's something I have to say at this point. I'm the funny guy on this oh, sorry. podcast, okay? Uh, Seb is the sort of, you know, unwitting idiot. Uh, Alex is just the, is a dry guy who occasionally gets a laugh because he's dry. And when he's extra dry, people go, oh, isn't he dry? And everyone goes, ha, 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 ha. But uh, listen, you're being you're being a bit too funny for my liking. So just reel it in a bit, okay? Focus on what you're here to do, which is to, to support my funniness, okay? Otherwise, we're gonna have issues. Okay, Dad. Now, speaking of funny, hey, actually, this is uh, this has been sent to me by uh, producer Ollie, who kindly reminded me that uh, uh, the person who had the worst day yesterday was Jay Glazer, cast member of Fox NFL Sunday and Ballers uh, on HBO. I don't know, two different shows. It sounds like. Jay Glazer, who said, just to be clear for the thousandth time as I woke up to this stuff sent my way on social media, my family is from Brooklyn, not Tampa. We do not own Manchester United. There you go, Jay Glazer. I'm sure you can expect more of that. Now, I noticed nobody laughed at what I said. Is that is there a laugh there? Or? <laughs> I, I, I had a question. I had a question because mm-hmm. this is this is quite common. For instance, every time that Andre Villas-Boas loses his job, somebody mm. with the Twitter handle AVB gets a torrent of abuse. Now... Yeah. If you're yeah. the kind of person that's doing that, are you not checking the handle first? Are you just typing in, oh, at AVB, that's probably it. So if, if I wanted to, if I wanted to abuse Joe, would I just type in at Joe Devine and not check that actually... I bet there is one out there. We could all do that. Is that okay? You're allowed to incite... I think we should check the contracts probably before we do things Tell like that. Tell me who but... it is. Who's Joe? Who... Yeah, are we allowed to dox that person? Don't want to dox anyone, do we? No. Uh but let's have a quick look, though, anyway. But you see what I'm getting at? It's just this kind of this... Uh, it's such laziness. Oh, yes, that that's probably him. I, I can't actually be bothered to check it, but let's just send it anyway. Let's send it first and worry about the consequences later or, you know, whether I'm right this, later. This, this guy has a beard. Okay, but focus. Joe Devine 96. Does not look like you. No. Anyway, never mind. Listen, uh, these situations are complicated by violence and what was most interesting to me yesterday I suppose was watching Sky because you know the pundits clearly had one view of it based on the uh, the protests and everything was interesting and Gary Neville as per usual made some you know interesting points and did a good job of uh, commentating on it uh, and then the violent stuff happened and then they sort of have to you know pull back quite a lot so uh, just you know if you're at one of these protests in the future don't do the violence and everything's better. That's the message from Tifa there. I hope that's a good message. I just said it off the top of my head. Uh, we will talk uh, in a moment about uh, uh, Newcastle and Arsenal. We'll be back to do that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, Newcastle nil to Arsenal. Hmm. Why are we starting with this game, you ask? Well, we were going to watch the United-Liverpool one, and uh, we watched this one first. Uh, there are some others in the list, but uh, anyway, here we go. El Nani's first ever Premier League goal. How exciting. Hmm? And a lovely flying volley strike thing from uh, Aubameyang 
sees Arsenal back into the top 10. So that's a good start. And uh, Newcastle probably still safe from relegation, being as they are nine points clear of Fulham in 18th. Now, JJ, Newcastle, you think, or you thought yesterday, tactically played right into Arsenal's hands in this one. Yes, I do think that. So what we've seen with Arteta's team recently is um, if you press them or you you know push them high up the pitch, they don't do they don't cope with it very well, and um, they don't offer much up front. He's got this uh, tactical setup at the moment. It's like a ring formation. I was talking this with with Alex of Tifo on Twitter recently, and uh, what they they do is is they put all their players. So if you're playing against a team like Fulham, it's the first time I noticed it. Fulham will sit back in the block. And so all the space is going to be wide. So he puts all his players wide around them like a like a ring with one player at the base of the midfield in front of the of the block. And uh, it just means that they pass it around forever and don't go anywhere with it. So uh, sit back, nothing happens. And uh, and then eventually frustrate them, hit them on the counter. That's how you do it. What Newcastle did was they sat in a 5-3-2, which naturally shows all the play wide. Um, but also because they defended so wide across the pitch, there were spaces between players which allowed them to play line-breaking passes. So the players in midfield, especially, were able to get the ball through to Martinelli, through to Odegaard, through to William. Um, and then Sabasi able to do what they wanted to do. And Aubameyang was up front, not as a false nine, which is very important, and was able to get to get on the ball. And they, that was what they did. And they sat back; they didn't push them high. And they had nothing about them, really. It was really, really, really poor from Newcastle in a game they, you think they would have been more up for. How often have you noticed this uh, this uh, ineffective ring thing? Because, for example, w- w- would uh, Steve Bruce have been able to spot that in, in recent games and, and maybe uh, prepare for it instead of doing the opposite? Well, I don't know if he would have looked at it and think that's what he'll do, so I'll hit with this. I think what he wanted to do would be to block space... And hit on the counter because the way they're going to score is by getting St. Maximin to do something mental by running really fast at someone. And then Wilson will turn up to finish it off. I think that'll be the, the play. And they have this... So it, I think it worked better when they played a 5-4-1. A bit, and the, the way they kind of defend is it's a 5, but it becomes a 4. And then the ball side wing back pushes up to take on the, the, the wide player normally. So then they just have an overload defensively, which tends to have worked. But because they sat so deep and just weren't able to get up with the ball. They changed after about 15 minutes, I think, and tried to push uh, Matt Ritchie and, and Murphy higher up the pitch so they could engage earlier. And that made a bit of a difference. And in the second half, they changed to more of a kind of 4-4-2, which, again, made a bit of a difference, but just not enough. They just weren't... I think Steve Bruce said after the game that he went into them at halftime, like he really gave them a, a good telling to. And, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think the problem they have is that their players are not as good as Arsenal's. That was a big problem they had. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the secret of That's, football, yeah, Joe, I've is... learned over a while. Yeah. <laughs> that does make sense. Sometimes I forget about that. Hey, you mentioned uh, Sir Maximan there. Uh, air quotes, Newcastle's best player, right? Yeah, for sure. He's also, um, it's quite easy like, comment to say, it's a joy to watch, but he really is. It's, he's really fun because he doesn't seem to belong amongst where everyone else is. Like, he's not been through the academy system, so he doesn't... Doesn't uh, do what you're supposed to as a footballer. So it's a bit of a, you know that um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episode with a wild card. He's basically that. You put him in and he <laughs> will do things you don't expect. <laughs> yeah, it's like he doesn't even listen to us, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's the thing. He'd be he'd be, he'd be um, infuriating to play with at five aside, and I think Matt Richie especially seems to find him 
annoying to play with because he's always looking at him with his arms out, like pass, pass the ball, which he has started doing more of since he's come back from injury. I've noticed. I, I wrote a thing, and the last thing I wrote for print before I um before I left there, uh, his passes per ninety are slightly up. His touches are slightly up per 90 as well. But also he's making slightly fewer dribbles, slightly fewer crosses, slightly fewer shots. But his chance creation has gone up as a result. So he's doing more for the team rather than only just running and trying to get on a highlight trail. He's playing the pass, then making the run, and that's making him more useful. Uh, yeah, we were talking about this yesterday, and um, uh, it struck me that there's a Rocket League analogy in here of, of a player who, and I'm sure uh, players of, of the Rocket League will be would be very familiar with this sort of player. Not to say that um, uh, uh, Sir Maximan is a, is a bull chaser. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is sometimes you have a team uh, where one player is, is, you know, mechanically much better than the other players on their team. And they score all the goals and they do all the cool-looking things and they get the most points by far on the team. But they don't actually help the team whilst doing that. They just kind of solo on the team. Uh, and uh, the, then the, the team lose anyway, and that person sort of looks at the other teammates as if to say, "Oh, pull your weight! Look at how many points I've got!" And uh, it's not—it's not my fault we've lost this one. And I think, well, actually, mate, it is. Because if you know, and then you want to explain it to your to your TV screen, and you want to shout into a pillow or something. You know, again, not a ball chaser, but someone who is significantly, um, you know, mechanically uh, talented above and beyond his teammates, uh, but. But perhaps that doesn't, or you know, scoring lots of goals doesn't always mean that's the best thing for the team, right? Well, I think so. And I, um, how do I explain it? It's a lot of uh, to apply to like five aside, for example. You get a lot of players at five aside who will, um, they will always stand wide up front. So five, it's probably sevens is a better analogy here. Actually, it's seven. So if they're standing wide up top, so all you need your dip, your depth and your width is what you need. Um, and if you're standing wide up top. Uh, it doesn't actually do anything because if you get the ball wide, often it means someone has to be deeper in the centre to give you space out wide. Then they'll run into the corner. They just you just funnel them down the corridor. They stay in that corner and then they have to go back because you can't score from the corner at sevens. You have to pass it, but you're often not allowed in the box. So there's no point being there in the first place. So you go backwards. The other team has time to get back and defend and it's all pointless. But the, the players who do that and You might hold to be... onto the ball in that time and look cool and, and be oh, a good yeah. dribbler while you're doing it, but it doesn't really help anyone. Exactly. You can do a good dribble um, and they might get a shot away, but often they just get tackled all the time and then they moan. They're always moaning all the time about like you not giving the ball to them every single time. But actually what's better for the team would be if they're just in the middle, not getting the ball, but stretching the defence. And so Maximin, I think his, what I think I've seen is that he's definitely had some coaching at Newcastle and he, like he's... He's making more, far more passes in a game, I think. So against Arsenal, for example, he made 24 passes, which is, uh, compared to like Matt Ritchie at 29, is, uh, is quite a lot. There are games before, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but in past games, he would have the fewest passes of like any Newcastle player on the pitch. But he'd also have about 29,000 dribbles. Which, if you're, trying to get, if you're trying to get out of your defensive shape, either you can get him to do it and it looks cool, and he's running 80 yards and... Uh, leaving like fire trails behind him but uh, you can also just hoof the ball and chase it up and win the second ball like it's it, it you know it's sort of the same thing I've got some sympathy for him though because it's if you ask someone like Sam Maxman to be a, a system player in a Steve Bruce system it feels like a that that's a really really good way of negating any any positive effect you might have like he I mean I speak with some <clears throat> someone who 
doesn't have to suffer the frustration of of him being on my team. Um, I don't have to you know deal with the kind of the Matt Ritchie situation, for instance. But if you just wanted him to be, um, if you just wanted him to be someone that expressed himself in the right situations, or as a, as a kind of an extension of Newcastle's build up, that kind of just involves him standing by the halfway line with his arms crossed for like 90 minutes because it's Newcastle aren't really built to do anything other than give him the ball and hope that a couple of times a game he scores sure. the best goal ever scored in the history of the That's sport. probably why it's confusing, right? Because I reckon at times he's probably been, been asked by Steve Bruce or whoever to just do what you can, lad, with the ball. It feels like that, doesn't it? It, it feels, it, yeah, I mean, I so. and this is kind of more of a commentary on Steve Bruce's Newcastle than it is on Alan Sam Maxman, but it it is as if someone has said, I'll just have a go. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? We're still going to have nine players behind the ball. And then, you know, Callum Wilson, 40 yards in the distance. Um, but it's yeah. it's difficult. It feels like that's that's a that's a legitimate part of Newcastle's game plan, for better or worse, is, right, just give Alan the ball and let's see what happens. Let's see if he does score that goal. Speaking of Newcastle's uh, game plan, speaking of Big Brucey, Dr. Bruce, Steve mm-hmm. Bruce, um, you know, I mean, they're probably safe from relegation, right? But there will still be supporters looking for change in the summer. And under Ashley, we've seen lots of managers come and go, even if Steve Bruce did go in the summer, which I think is far from certain now that safety is almost guaranteed, not quite. Uh, what uh, is the short-term route to being less fucked? I've written down here. I don't know who wants to answer that. Uh, it's a toss-up. Uh, off, you, off you pop. I'll have a go at that one. Uh, the secret, I think, is buying better players. Ah. Yes, I believe this is the solution. I am not a big fan of the the 5-3-2. It is a 5-3-2, not a 3-5-2 that they play. I think they could do something different. I don't know if Steve Bruce is the man for that because his teams have tended to be very... Uh, what is the word? Not even pragmatic. Conservative. Stodgy. Maybe that's a word? Yeah. Just like good enough to finish maybe 12th. That's what they're good at. And um, mm. you might have a brighter, younger manager who comes in and they could uh, take them up to... I mean, what's where's the, the glass ceiling now? It's something like 8th, isn't it? You just can't really get above that unless you are taken over by a small state. Country. So Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think there are players they can find, but... I mean, the way you get them in is get a young future superstar coming through from another club like Ajax and putting out out of thin air. And, you know, you build around there. I mean, Joe Willock, they've got just now an Arsenal wonder kid. You think that might be someone who can take them up a step. But are they good enough right now to be able to play that slightly more attacking game? Do they? It's really difficult to know what to do. It's going to be a bit like what Sean Dice is doing with Burnley, I think, at the moment, where you just have the same group of players largely and you maybe get one addition a summer if you can get them in. Um, but you're mostly just trying to fight fires the whole time and just stay alive. And eventually yeah. you might get s- some running momentum and that'll take you up. It sounds quite dour <laughs> for a Newcastle fan. You're not going to have an awful lot of fun with it, I think. Not even in the cups. Mm. You know, you get so far, but you've got to focus on on not getting relegated. It's yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you get out to being to being less fucked, but it's going to be just having better humans on your team. I think. Okay, well, let's talk about Arsenal. Speaking of of uh, getting less effed, hey, uh, Arsenal uh, uh, were two goals down against a Villarreal inside thirty minutes last Thursday. A second half Pepe penalty. 
provide some hope for the second leg. But it's not a position that Arsenal would have wanted to be going into in the second leg. Hmm? Over at The Athletic, Amy Lawrence was asked if Unai Emery outthought Mikel Arteta. Uh, her response, it felt more like Arteta outthought Arteta. Ahahaha. <laughs> Uh, she was, of course, in part referring to Arsenal not fielding a striker for the game. JJ, explain that, because I watched that in a pub, and I was confused. <laughs> uh, I agree with this idea that Arteta's outthinking himself. He, I think he's... Uh, I mean, he did learn from the best in Pep Guardiola, didn't he? Well, yeah, exactly, but then that doesn't necessarily translate as him being immediately able to do it himself. And it, it seems a bit to no, me I like... No, I just mean uh, doing... overthinking the big game, that are the old cliché. Oh, Pep, I understand, you know, yeah. Old, uh, yeah, sorry. But I'll Pep's often have worked and then been taken apart by the other team. I think what, Arte- what I've seen from Arteta is that it's it's as though if it were like a like a video game, you'd be able to like restart. And like If it's Mario, you die three times and you can start again, game over. But you can't, he can't do that. He has to go with what he's done. And he's tried different systems. Like the, the first system he put in place was a 4-2-3-1, tried to be high-pressing and the stuff you think Arteta would do because of his Pep association, mostly. Uh, or maybe because of his time playing under Wenger. And so that's the kind of thing I would just assume naively that he was going to try and do. And then that turned into very quickly this, this horribly rigid 3-4-3 where everyone had very strict rules. There was no creativity. Like he just, just stripped any freedom of choice out of his players. And um, so like if you have good players, often you don't need to give them strict uh, strict rules like you must be here at this stage you must be here at this stage uh, like the Pep Guardiola thing is like Thierry Henry has explained before his uh, rules of play are you get he gets you to a certain point and then largely you're free to make choices and that's how you get there but there are certain there are parameters in place to make sure that the way he wants you to create are there but what Arteta did was make everything really really strict and took away their creativity and now he's sort of put this thing in place which facilitates like freedom of movement, rotations. Um, he's taken away a striker to try and do the same thing that Guardiola's done at Man City, but his just has no teeth. It's like a snake without teeth. It's just a, what's the family guy joke? It's a belt. There's nothing there. So, yeah. And it, he, he could just play a normal like 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1, and just have a mid-block or, or press him in a certain part of the team. And he's got Aubameyang up front. Like He's one of the best strikers in Europe. Like, he is. But yet he's not getting anywhere near enough out of him. And it's because he's trying to do all these fancy bits he maybe doesn't need to do. Maybe it'll work next season. I, I don't think it will, but yeah. How long do the fans put up with it, Joe? I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Seb, what's the long-term looking like for young Arteta now? Yeah? Because there was obviously huge excitement about his appointment. He was extremely well-considered by some of the game's best coaches, as discussed. Uh, but that kind of, uh, you know, excitement has hardly translated into results has it i mean it's a bit awkward now i'd say a little bit awkward a little bit awkward but i I think this might be one of the advantages of being someone with absolutely no cv not as a a sort of a senior coach because there's always this theory isn't there that you don't feel if, if if this was steve bruce's arsenal then you could kind of reference it against things that had happened in the past. Oh, this is just part of the Steve Bruce cycle or the Jose Mourinho cycle, or this is year three and this is what happens. With someone like Arteta, you're allowed to believe that there's an awakening in your future, uh, which is probably to his advantage. But I, what strikes me as odd is it's something that you've put in the notes, although I'm paraphrasing what you've written, um, just blow it all up and start again yeah. in terms of that first team squad because there's a lot of players that you just think... 
I said no that with quite you... a lot more nuance and finesse than you. Than you've just said, that, you know, just to clarify. I said, you know, it had a feeling that maybe sort of it wouldn't be the worst thing for everybody except a few players. Not everyone, not blow everyone up, but go, carry on. Just wanted to clarify. I don't want to get in the way. But, but that was like, you've done it in that weird sort of um, Lord of the Rings voice. That was bizarre. <laughs> like you were some kind of overlord. Right, that was... <laughs> You haven't even written this in italics, so I don't. I don't think you meant it in that voice. So, bring them all down. Yeah, you definitely no. Um, it's funny because a couple of things are strange about Arsenal. I, I think there are um, three or four really good players who are definitely going to be part of their future. Elsewhere, you see who, game time. Who? Be- who, who, who? I like who? Saka. Uh, I like Smith Rowe a lot. I think he's a really good player. I think Martinelli. If Martinelli can stay fit, Martinelli is definitely part of Arsenal's future. Yeah, he's magic. Yeah. Tell us something we don't know, mate. Yeah, but these things get overlooked. It becomes, and this is part of the problem at Arsenal because they're stacked to the gills with players from their yesterdays and players who are essentially obstructive to their tomorrows. Then you don't get to focus on the younger players, you don't get to build a team around someone like Smith Rowe. Um, because if you start a sentence by fixating and praising the young players who've developed under Arteta, by the end of that sentence, you've reached a point where you have to acknowledge that, yes, but they've given that massive new contract to Aubameyang. And that feels like, it feels like two parts of the club rowing in opposite directions. And it's a... It's as a result, this, you know, forgetting the results and forgetting Arsenal's position in the league because of the kind of contradictory nature of the first team squad. It's very difficult to kind of grasp a proper idea of what Arsenal are as a result of it, because for every every positive, for everything that you can look at and think, well, I'll be really interested in seeing what that looks like in two years time. There's something else or somebody else you think, God, if that player's still there in two years time, that's a problem. And it's it's very difficult. You what what what's the what's the conclusion that you can draw from that? Could, could I say also that um, you know in relation to Thursday's game, obviously uh, you know they, they had they had injury issues last week, but they'll have some still going into this game. It look I'm not sure. I haven't checked this morning, but it looked like David Luiz left the pitch with mm-hmm. a with a hamstring injury, so presumably wouldn't be available for Thursday Thursday's game. Maybe maybe much longer. Um, but even if they are to sort of overturn the deficit against Villarreal. I, you, is it unfair to say that you can't really see this Arsenal side beating Man United in the final? No, I don't see that at all. Also, that that Villarreal result. Let's let's not forget that actually, Villarreal were far superior, and that just wasn't a penalty. Yeah, um, it's a ludicrous decision. And so Arsenal's still in the semi final. Yes, but I think it disguises just how inferior they were during that game. Can I say some stuff um, that, that some it was stuff. is unlike anything I've been able to say for the past year? Because I th- like I said at the beginning, you just reminded me I was in the pub for this game. And I was in a pub in Islington, so it was, you know, it was uh, socially distanced but stacked with Arsenal fans. By the way, the pub is the Old Red Lion Theatre. Yes, that's Uncle Damien's pub in Angel Islington. <laughs> what a fine time I had there. And you can have there too. 418 St John Street, the Old Red Lion Theatre. Uh, you know, much as I don't want to tell people where I drink, I don't want to bump into any weirdos, yeah? <laughs> Uncle Damien has asked me to, <laughs> has repeatedly asked me to say, please tell people about us. Nicest man in the whole of North London as well, Uncle Damien. 
nice, nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he is nice guy. Uh, there's a lovely couple of viewing decks for the football anyway, but this gave me a good, it gave me a taste. I feel, I feel like I put my finger on the pulse. You remember what that was like when you were around the people and you heard the vibe and the vibe changed and swelled and, and peaked. And they were really unhappy with Arteta. I can tell you that. Uh, they were uh, they they cheered. <laughs> I wasn't. I was only half watching the game, and there was a moment where they suddenly cheered, and I turned around, and a Villarreal player was being stretched off the pitch. <laughs> it was because I didn't realise it's because he had the red card, and he was finally leaving. But I thought for a moment, like, wow, I forgot how vindictive people are. But um, that would be it'd be quite funny if you got sent off and you had to be stretched off the pitch. That so it's even more humiliating. <laughs> that would be quite a good. That's part of the process. Of the rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they walk you all the way around the outskirts of the pitch and show your face yeah. to all the fans. Uh, but no, they were really unhappy with Arteta. And then after the game, I could hear you know. Uh, drips and drabs of different conversations uh people saying like he's been he's been shit all year or he's always making bad decisions or i just wonder if that excitement that was there originally that sort of fire that came along with arteta the thing that enabled you know that extra bit of time because I, I do i honestly believe that if it was a, a, another manager with or another coach sorry with more experience uh he would be judged differently um, and uh, perhaps would have already reached this point of uh, so- some discontent with supporters. Arteta, I think, has been given a, bit, a longer period of time, reasonably enough, because he's uh, essentially new to the role and because he was an Arsenal player and, you know, all the same reasons why Solskjaer would be given given more time, right? Uh, but I feel like if something doesn't change for Arsenal soon, I mean, and presumably that will be judged at the beginning of next season, because this this season, with the exception of the Europa League, is a kind of foregone conclusion now. Um, and the Europa League feels somewhat foregone too. Uh, presumably, they ha- they have to get off to a good start uh, in the first sort of quarter of next season. Otherwise, the tone of that uh, debate amongst the supporters is going to sour even more, isn't it? I think so. I think it would be uh, it would be good to hear supporters in the crowd because it's much better anyway. But I think you'd see, um, yeah, I think a lot of supporters are starting to become unhappy with it based on that. And my dad, who is one, and uh, he. Uh, was pretty pro Arteta until he started to realise or re- noticed recently that things have turned like, like the way you just described. And uh, one thing I think about it that is maybe interesting is that in what well, my opinion is that managers tend to take about 18 months roughly to form a team in their image and it becomes what they want. And that's if you start from a summer, right? You get a full summer and you a transfer window and then that's what you get. That's roughly what I think Arteta's kind of had. And what he's produced is a mid-table team uh, and I think and you can judge a team really on their league performances. Like Cups, you can get through the random knockout game and stuff like that. And Europa League, mostly they're against teams who should be inferior, particularly if you look at it from like an, an economic point of view and how much the wages cost and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would say he's seriously underperforming and I don't know quite why he's getting such an easy ride of it. Because, for example, like Solskjaer was like ridiculed for ages and ages everyone thought he was nonsense but there's a big difference between, between being a very good coach and being a manager yeah. and it might be that he's sort of learning that on the fly at the moment do you think there's some value in in i mean just being a manager at a club where there are so many other things perceived to be going wrong at the same time that's very similar to the Solskjaer situation well you sort of ride the wave a little bit yeah because in particular arsenal we've seen two or three sort of um uh, executive level reshuffles we've seen some very high profile exits we've seen um the the kind of um the pockets of power redistributed above arteta and him given new roles and it, it kind of it creates this perpetual caveat for whatever's going on on the pitch and and an extension of that thing we talked about with 
inexperienced coaches is that you know okay eventually everything's going to fall into place with him and and much is the same much the same is true with arsenal in that okay this guy's in this role now and we're recruiting from this part of the world and with this set of expertise and this is what we believe in and it's kind of pointing everything towards this sort of um non-specific point in the future and i, I think that's part of why arteta gets a little bit of an easy ride mm, okay alas we must move on we've dawdled for a very long time on Newcastle nil, Arsenal 2. But after this, we'll come back more briefly, discuss uh, Chelsea, uh, Everton, um, uh, Tottenham, it seems, other things, and uh, Joe's Quotes and Facts database. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, uh, Chelsea 2, nil Fulham. Uh, just a couple of points here. Uh, JJ, two goals from Kai Havertz in this game. Mr. Growth Spurt. Uh, is he peaking? Is he peaking? Is it happening? I don't think he's peaking. I don't think he's begun to peak. Ooh. But we'll know when he peaks. Oh! <laughs> uh, I mean, it's two goals against Fulham. And one one of them is... I mean, there are two straight balls over the top. He's done very well with the, the second one, particularly to finish it, I think. The first one, Mason Mount's first touch to bring the ball down for his first goal is unbelievable. Yeah, I love yeah. a first touch. It's like, that is, oh, I could watch that all day. So that's one thing to say. Also, I mean, he's only the other goal he scored before that was against Crystal Palace in a 4-1 win. He should definitely have got one there. And before that, yeah, nothing. So he's slowly maybe getting used to what he's involved with, but only doing well against the good teams. Like he didn't do anything in his brief appearance in the FA Cup final. Uh, he did nothing against Brighton in a nil-nil. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, he'll. I think we all. I assume we all think he's going to do quite well. But it's just this has been a year of adjustment for him, and um, he's not peaking yet. Though. No, okay. I'm excited to see him peak. I like him. Yeah, I like him too. Uh, Seb, Chelsea are firmly fourth as we speak. I mean, West Ham play tonight, and this is released tomorrow, so it's a good chance this will be completely inaccurate by the time that this is released. But currently, the six points clear of West Ham in fifth. Uh, with a transfer window ahead of them and uh, good performances since Tuchel's appointment, could they challenge next season? Could they? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, I think we talked about this last week or about 10 days ago. If they if they gave the same amount of attention to their back six as they did their front five last summer, then you're going to have a huge improvement. And if they were able to go into next season with new centre-half, perhaps a new goalkeeper, maybe a new right-sided fullback. Absolutely, of course they would. And if you work on the basis that they've improved dramatically over the past three months, if you um, parlay that uh, improvement further forward for about a year, then goodness me, they could be a good side. 
Um, and <clears throat> I always like it when you've got a group of players who are roughly the same age and developing in the same part of the team. And if you think about that triangle between Mount, JJ's mentioned, Werner and Havertz, if you developed a long-term relationship between those players, that's a really, really good unit and a really, really watchable unit too. That could be cool. Okay, well, it sounds like we've already talked about this. Moving on. Everton won two Aston Villa. Uh, goals from Watkins and El Ghazi. Sandwiched one from DCL to take Villa within four points of uh, Everton in the table. How exciting. Angelotti said after the game it was a cruel blow to their faint European hopes. Not actual quote, lol. Although, weird Everton news. Big rumours about Philippe Coutinho as a possible summer transfer, JJ. Aho. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, is he what they need? I don't know. I assume that James Rodriguez would be going if they got one of him, or would they have both of them? That feels very that lavish. Feels decadent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that feels like too many. Coutinho might. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's what they need. He's not for me. Who do you think they need? I mean, <laughs> what they want is someone like Harry Kane. <laughs> Like, just like, some amazing player. Like, Neymar. That's what they need. Right. <laughs> he might be available. He might be available. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Seb, is it fair to, to criticise Ancelotti? You know? Because we pay, like, pay attention to Everton when they're good. Less so when they're not. Injuries, yes. But you've written this question that I don't really know what you're trying to ask. Would you ask it and then answer it yourself? <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it fair to criticise Carlo Ancelotti? I think yes. Because I think... I think if you if you look at some of the performances and Fulham at home, Burnley at home, the lost uh, the, the the draw with Palace when they absolutely dominated and yet somehow inevitably conceded that equaliser, like I, I think Ancelotti, I like Ancelotti. Me too. Yeah, but I, I think that's the issue is that we like him and so we give him a little bit of a wide berth. I want to go to a vineyard with him. He'd be able to talk you through the vineyard. You know, I want I want to sit at a sort of rustic wooden table. In a, in a Mediterranean sunset and eat sort of Greek food that I didn't think I liked, but when I'm with him, I like, you know? Oh. I want to go there. And there's a kind of a that warm, nice. balmy sunset and you can see for miles and miles and miles. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like you're describing a very romantic evening with Carlo Ancelotti. That's that's very... And he, he knows the owner too. He definitely knows the owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, would, he would know the owner. Yeah. The point is yeah. this. I won't have it. Though, if this was Jose Mourinho, we'd be all over him, I think, because... Oh sure, because it's and it's it's kind of it's it it's the tax that a, a manager pays for not being that likable or for being antagonistic, and I think it's fair to ask for a little bit more because it's it's not just the results because we we've talked about the glass ceiling we've talked about what Everton need and what they have and what they don't have and those are all fair points. At the same time, the tone of the performance sometimes is less than encouraging. Mm. You don't think with Everton. This is a team in progress. This is a team that in a year, 18 months time is really going to be somewhere. You're thinking, eh, it's okay. If this player gets on the ball, they might do something with it. If this player doesn't, then that's probably a good thing also. And that's indicative of the kind of the holes that are in that first 11. Um, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's under par at the moment. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, Tottenham 4, Sheffield United. I heard that Gareth Bale scored a hat-trick. I didn't watch this game. He did indeed. And it's uh, that's nine goals and eight Premier League starts, which, um, not to bring him up again, but nah, not great luck for Jose Mourinho, that. Why not? Didn't he buy him? No, it was a. Uh, it was made very clear by Mourinho that that was a, a loan deal spearheaded by Daniel Levy. That was very much his transfer. Oh. Um, also, uh, Jose Mourinho made a sort of habit of, of kind of pointing at Gareth Bale whenever things didn't quite go to plan. Um, had a few sort of moments when he um, 
ostentatiously benched him uh, for games that you thought he might have suited playing in. Right. This was fun. This was fun. It was a it was a relief. Caveats about the uh, opposition aside, because Sheffield United are doomed and um, deeply flawed, sadly. But Spurs were good to watch. They're aggressive and they um, they're imperfect. Their you know choice of passes uh, in the attacking third wasn't always great. And um, Harry Kane had a really strange night where he just, um, just could not stop missing. But it was fun, and there were little uh, reference points back to Mauricio Pochettino's time at the club, where this rotation amongst the attacking players and inside forwards and number tens and centre forwards all dropping into different positions and being incredibly difficult to pick up. It was like watching a little carousel at the top of the pitch, um, and it was fun, and it was it was everything that this season hasn't really been for Tottenham. Um, and let's not sort of translate that into a kind of Ryan Mason must be immediately appointed as Tottenham manager now, but it was just refreshing. Mm-hmm. It was a, a nice balm and anecdote to what the season has been. Yeah. I'm not happy. Okay. I prefer it when the pressure's really on you. I think it's, I think you're a lot sort of funnier when you're just distressed all the time. I'm better pod fodder. Yeah. When I'm being antagonized and provoked by a, a, yeah. A bogeyman, Mourinho figure. Yeah, yeah. But, alas. Whereas now all I can do is ask you uh, to say a couple of words about Real Madrid Osasuna and uh, Lille Nice. Oh, uh, Real Madrid Osasuna was um, Osasuna even Osasuna. So Osasuna. Sorry, I think I said yeah. Osasuna. Yeah, my yeah, bad. You, you, I don't know what you did there. Um, it was actually deeply boring. Um, and the only interesting bit was uh. Edin Melitao <laughs> almost scoring a fantastic own goal. But the important thing is Real Madrid won, and they won without Modric and Cruz. They rested both ahead of um, the Champions oh. League this week. So that was a real victory for them. Oh. And uh, reports are that Ferdi Valverde will um, will be available, although um, he hasn't played since being diagnosed with uh, COVID. So I find that quite hard to believe. Uh, good result. Mm. Um, mm. And important because Atletico Madrid won 1-0. And Barcelona came back to beat Valencia late last night on Sunday. So, oh mate, it's tightening up, isn't it's it? Really it's really exciting in La Liga. It's also, you know, you know, it's really interesting. France, Joe, um, where uh, oh yeah, do tell. A couple of things are interesting about this. Um, firstly, that Lille are keeping pace with PSG, which is just um, you know natural lol, of course. Ooh. But also that um, they're kind of dependent on a thirty-five-year-old centre forward in doing it. It's just great to watch. Berkey Maz is just a he's fun. He's just... Uh, Barack Yilmaz. I don't know if I've ever watched him before, really. You should. You should. You, well, you, you'll see him You'll see him during the Euros because he will be front and centre for Turkey. Oh. It very much seemed like his days were over, um, but he's kind of... He's dropped in. He didn't... I mean, he, he, he hasn't been... Didn't begin the season as a starter at Lille, uh, but he's become fundamental to everything they do and scored the first goal um, on Saturday night um, and has now scored four in five games. Which, for someone who's only right. 18 months younger than me, that feels well, a bit humiliating from my perspective. But um, <laughs> good for Lille. Well done. Um, and this would be, if, yeah. if they do, they've got three games left. Um, they're playing Lens on Friday night away. And this would be a great story. Mm. I mean, obviously, anybody who, who finishes ahead of PSG in France has done pretty well. But um, yeah. Christophe Galtier, their coach, hasn't won anything since uh, he won a League Cup with Saint Etienne in 2013. League Cup, which no longer exists in France, it's been abolished. So right. this is an amazing right. thing. Like he, his first league title would be to uh, would involve derailing the uh, PSG of Neymar and Mbappe and Pochettino and 
all that Qatari yeah. wealth, it'd be a fabulous achievement. Also, one of the best names in football, no? Christophe Galtier. Christophe Galtier. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Come he, um, on, that is... Yeah. Oh, makes me want to eat like a... Uh, what do you call it? A big... Uh, what do you that's the thing you put in the freezer? A uh, gaga, ga, ga, a ga. Vianetta. Anyone? I mean, a ga. What are you talking? How does? I don't know. <laughs> no one knows where you're going with this. You've just jumped off. You the know, a big chocolate cake that goes in the freezer. A gato. Gato. A gato. That's, that's nothing like that. Imagine, just, imagine me saying it starts with ga, 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 and then you say Vianetta. Well done. Yeah, but you, there's, um, there, there, okay. there is no nothing other than the alliteration. Listen, shush up, it's shush cringe. up, stop talking. Inter, it, stop now. Inter have won a first Scudetto in eleven years. Yeah. Uh, Seb, finish your uh, your your canter around Europe now, as you are based in the centre of the of the continent. I am cool, and you know European. all things as they've yeah yeah go, go yeah. Inter won the first Scudetto in eleven years. It was it's been inevitable for a while. Um, further down the table, uh, I got very overexcited in the WhatsApp about Juventus possibly dropping out of the top four. You cursed it. You cursed I it. I did didn't you? Uh, within about five minutes of me um, expressing my. Schadenfreude, uh, Ronaldo had scored twice and uh, Juventus had moved back in top four. So we won't be doing that again. You just can't stop that guy. I just, you know? it was, it, you, you know what, his um, second goal was going to be your classic Ronaldo back post header where he kind of climbs 10 foot in the air above the all the centre-backs. Yeah. It's a brilliant header. There was a funniest thing that happened to me this week. Oh, sorry, I was going to say there was commentary on the on the highlights of that. Um, I, I watched the, the highlights of that Juventus game. And the guy, the commentator, I, can't, I don't know who he is, it's an English guy, and he was always referring to how Ronaldo has saved Andrea Pirlo. And it's the way he's saying it, it's so dramatic, as though he was going to be killed unless <laughs> they were to win this game. <laughs> yeah. It did feel a little strong. bit like that, because the, the camera kept cutting to Pirlo, and obviously, what do we associate with him? He's kind of suave and cool and relaxed and laid back and just um, all those things. Yeah. And he was just, he was as demonstrative as I've seen him. Um, he's the owner of the vineyard. You no, know, we, he's he's the guy that Ancelotti knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he's an apprentice so, learning. He's got a craft it. vineyard down the road. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, funniest thing that I that happened to me. Not funniest. I mean, notable, um, coincidental, perhaps, probably not funniest. Uh, I managed to watch uh-huh. two games back to back, which finished at half time with a team five nil up, which was new. I saw Borussia Dortmund. Um, Batter Houston Kiel, but before that, um, the Sickness, who were on their way to winning the Turkish Super League, were 5 0 up against Hattiesport with uh, George, Kevin, and Kudu running riot on the left side of their midfield, which is. Well, I would say to you, Seb, that even a broken clock is right uh, twice a day. Yeah, he's, he's a. He's a I, I just. I never thought I'd see a football league in which Nkudu was a force. Like a. Just. It's. Yeah, no, strange. I, I was talking about you. I don't know who Nkudu is. I was saying that you. Never mind. Uh, it's time now for Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Okay, we're in the we're in the Quotes and Facts Database now, deep in the database where all sorts of um, data can be found, uh, and we'll find some now. Uh, we're going to go to Manchester United this week because I realised we hadn't hadn't done them before, and we're going to start, of course with Edinson Cavani, current hero of Manchester. 
Yeah, I don't know if he is. According to lifebogger.com, now JJ, you'll hear me reference lifebogger.com quite a lot because uh, they're a great website that you can go to and you can find out about the life stories of almost any player who's over a certain level of fame. That's lifebogger.com. According to lifebogger.com, Edinson's father, uh, Louis Cavani, would take Edison, Edinson hunting. Hmm? He loves it as a hobby. So I'm reading from Lifebogger now. His hunting spree of wild boars and bush pigs is usually done in the dead hours of night amid the hillside woods of North Uruguay. Wow. Continuing, Lifeblogger shows a picture of Cavani's dad holding a rifle and says, Below is Mr. Lewis Cavani handling a .243 caliber rifle, which he had just used for his nocturnal hunting session with his son. Killing, and get this, killing two boars, six hares, and apparently, according to Lifebogger, some protected creature that we're not allowed to reveal in this blog. <laughs> wow! I don't know. That's probably not true, by the way. <coughs> I certainly uh, wouldn't want it to seem that this podcast was accusing Edinson Cavani of illegal poaching. But, you know, life bogger is. So what are you going to do? Life bogger. <laughs> oh. Anyway, <coughs> this is a qu- the quote now. This is the quote bit. And it's a. I really like the idea that that's where Cavani developed his excellent movement. Um, in the in the box, like hunting in the night, nocturnally darting from bush to bush between trees and trees to to jump on a boar. I assume he's doing it with his hands. He's got a rifle, but he doesn't need them because he's already there. <laughs> that was a duck call there. Uh, <clears throat> that's my duck call, and I figured I'd do that because I, I I hit the duck call whenever someone hits the nail on the head or hits the hits the n- nail the on the duck on head. The, yeah. uh, yeah, hits the boar on the, on the square face. ass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the quote now of the Joe's Player Quotes and Facts list for Edinson Cavani and JJ, <laughs> I think you're going to like this. Speaking to the Telegraph, Cavani said, you must wait, 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 and then act immediately. You have to be ready for the moment when it's time to attack. It's the same in football. As a child, I didn't connect one with the other, but as I grew up, I realised that these skills are especially important for a striker who wants to score lots of goals. Now, he's talking about fishing uh, rather than uh, grappling a boar with his body. (laughs) But um, (laughs) he's still, you know, fishing and hunting. They're all part of the same magazines. So it's, you know, it's basically, you know, that is... uh, One more time... That's the duck on the head. There we go. Okay. It's the duck on the head. Okay. The next one now. We're going to be over here soon, guys. The next one, Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire. He's a centre-back. Apparently, Harry Maguire's nickname, apparently, is Hefty Hardman. Did anyone else, anyone else That's know that? absolutely not his nickname. <laughs> It's Hefty Hardman. Who's calling him that? Are you you saying that there are people in this world that see him in the distance and say, oh, (laughs) Hefty Hardman, good morning. Saved on their phone. Oh, look. It's it's him calling me again. Well, it was was according to lifebogger.com. And then I did Google it, just say, like, this can't be right. Like, this has to be just a weird... I'm convinced whoever runs lifebogger.com uh, English is, is a second language because I, a lot of it looks like it's Google translated uh, it's just the strange way so I thought maybe that's something else it does appear on a few other sites uh, it's possible that they're all taking it from lifebogger too but nevertheless hefty hard man is his nickname 
Um, and according to lifebogger.com, again, really leaning hard on Lifebogger here, uh, not much is known about his dad. Uh, quote, unlike his mum, who many believe is a strict disciplinarian. But there's no context for that at all. That's just the that's just a standalone comment. I'm not sure why many people believe that. <clears throat> Maybe there's something I don't understand. Maybe it might be a reference that's gone over my head. I think it's her stats from Football Manager. It probably is. It probably it's probably the way that she decides to manage the players, the kind of tone that she uses Discipline. when she talks back 18. to uh, to people. Strict disciplinarian. Okay, Harry Maguire's quote now. Uh, here we go. Uh, quote, what's more important is me trying my best to keep my feet on the floor, staying humble, and letting my ability, and not the bin bags, do the talking. Of course, that was in reference to when Harry Maguire was papped, uh, arriving at an England training camp with uh, a bin bag full of uh, dirty boots, apparently. He said, oh, all the other players had bin bags too. I was just the one that got in front of the camera, you know? That's it. There you go. <laughs> and that's uh, the end of the so the end of uh, Joe's player quotes and facts database. Uh, we'll be back next week with more, uh, probably more from lifebogger.com. Seriously, check out Lifebogger. A lot of fun you can have on there. Anyway, that's all for now. Uh, we're at the end of the episode now. Uh, many great thanks to Seb Stafford Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. And thanking you, JJ Bull, new arrival. How do you feel that it went? Oh, I had great fun. I'm still, I was still really laughing at that Cavani bit. That's, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Duck on the head, duck on the head. Well, anyway, we'll hear more from JJ in the future as he's an employee now and contractually obliged to appear on the podcast. So you can look forward to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, of course, thanks to uh, producer Ollie as well. Wishing all the best to uh, producer Adonis and family. And uh, we'll be back on uh, on Friday with uh, some some discussion of the European midweek. Uh, but until then, farewell, Tipos. Au revoir. The Athletic.